At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. God created us for community, and with community comes conflict. It seems ever-present in our day-to-day lives, from little things to big things. In today's society, cancel culture is prevalent, and when there's conflict in our lives, it can be easy to turn to the ways of canceling one another. Knowing how to resolve conflict lovingly is an essential component of our lives. When we resolve conflicts out of love, we honor Christ. Join us in our new series, Conflicted, Pursuing Peace in a Cancel Culture, where we'll turn to the Gospel of Matthew to see what Jesus has to say about handling conflict. The goat, the greatest of all time. That's a phrase that is being tossed around pretty regularly in our culture these days. And oftentimes when it is, it is connected to the world of sports. Who is the GOAT? Now, in the NFL, uh, many would say that the GOAT retired last season when Tom Brady walked away from his long-standing NFL career. Few probably would argue with that. In the NBA, some would consider current star LeBron James to be the GOAT. While others maintain that superstar Michael Jordan still holds that title. Now, the truth is, we actually had this discussion in the office this week. A few of us were gathered around and we were talking about that very thing. Is it LeBron? Is it Michael? Let me be clear, it's not LeBron. Okay, moving on. The reality is the question is debated by sports fans all the time. It doesn't really matter the sport. You can go to baseball and you can argue about who's the greatest slugger or the greatest NHL goalie or the best tennis player or who is the GOAT golfer. You guys get the idea. Who is the greatest of all time? You see, what the question begs is something that many of us consider and want to evaluate in our own lives. The reality is, is while we ask this question of our favorite sports heroes, this question itself has been asked for a very long time. Who is the greatest? In fact, it's a question that Jesus himself received. It's a question that he was asked and he gave a surprising answer to when it pertains to the kingdom of God. That's a question that we're going to examine in just a moment because his answer matters deeply to you and to me. It matters deeply to us as we seek to walk out our faith. And we're going to turn to the scriptures in just a moment, but first, let's pray together. Gracious God, we come to you humbly today in worship to acknowledge that we have nothing apart from you. We acknowledge today, God, that you are holy and righteous and just, and we are not apart from you. Yet, we desire to put ourselves on the top of the heap. We desire to be at the top of the list, God. That is what is stirring within us oftentimes. We are a people who struggle with pride. God, in the midst of that struggle, would you meet with us today? 
in the midst of that real life struggle, would you meet with us, God, as we open your word because we acknowledge today that your word is true. Your word is truth and has everything we need to walk out our faith in real, significant, practical ways. But we need to submit to the word of truth first. So God, may you find our hearts today submitted to you. May you find our minds submitted to you. We desire to meet with you now as we turn to your word. So through the power of your spirit, open our eyes, open our ears, give us humble hearts before you, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Today we do begin a new sermon series. It is titled Conflicted, Pursuing Peace in a Cancel Culture. Now, our desire as a community of faith is to live peaceably within God's kingdom. We desire to be people of peace. That means we would navigate disagreements. We would navigate differences of opinion. We would navigate those things with a measure of grace and truth. We're going to speak truth. We're going to do it in love. That is the desire of God's people. And so this morning, we're going to learn what Jesus tells us about how to enter into those types of discussions and actually where it begins. Oftentimes when we think of a disagreement or a difference of opinion in the context of the church, we run to Matthew 18, but what's really helpful for us is to know the beginning of Matthew 18. So let's grab our Bibles, and we're going to look to God's inspired word for some truth today as Jesus guides us. We're looking to Matthew chapter 18. We're going to pick it up at verse 1. You will find that on page 823 in your ESV Bible. If you do not have a Bible, you can go ahead and read along behind me on the screen. Here's what Matthew writes. At that time, the disciples came to Jesus, saying, Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And calling to him a child, he put him in the midst of them, and he said, Truly I say to you, unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. For whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. To whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. But whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better. It would be better for him to have a great millstone fastened around his neck and to be drowned in the depth of the sea. Friends, Jesus the Christ is countercultural. What we just read is an example of Jesus being countercultural. He does not go with the flow. He doesn't say that thing which would be politically correct. He doesn't even in this moment say what his friends want to hear. Jesus speaks truth. Period. Jesus speaks truth, and that is exactly what we see in that first part of our text. Now, allow me to set the stage for us for just a moment. Matthew begins by saying, at this time, the disciples came to Jesus. So who are the disciples? They are this ragtag group of guys. 
kind of rough and tumble. Those are the men who Jesus is investing in. Those are the men that Jesus has pulled aside and said, I desire to mentor you. I desire to pour into your life. I desire to disciple you. That's where the goat question comes up. Look back at verse 1. At that time, the disciples came to Jesus and they said, Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And calling to him a child, he put the child in the midst of them and he said, Truly, I say to you, unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. For whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Let's be honest, nobody saw that answer coming. Nobody. He's amidst his friends, he's amidst this group of men, there's posturing, there's debating, there's wrestling going on. Well, you're here, I'm here. It's this competition thing. And let me tell you something. I was at the cornhole tournament yesterday. Saw a little bit of that going on. Guys kind of talking some smack to each other and telling who is better and posturing. It's into that setting that Jesus completely changes the paradigm. He changes everything. Who's the greatest? It's into that situation he brings up a child. The most dependent of all humans. He brings up a child. That's who Jesus uses as his model for true greatness in the kingdom. He brings up a child. It's a beautiful picture. Now typically when we consider children as an example, usually what we're referencing is their innocence. They haven't been maybe as stained by the world as you and I have as we get older. Kind of focus on their innocence or their purity. Well, that point is certainly true to a degree. That's not the point that Jesus is making here. Instead, what Jesus is highlighting for us is the humility of a child. Children are not interested in position or titles He's highlighting the humility of a child. You see, Jesus uses a child as a model because he wants you and me, he wants his disciples to understand to be truly great is to be dependent. To be truly significant in the kingdom of God, we must surrender our power and serve. Jesus' vision for greatness, I think, is captured really well by a theologian by the name of Michael Green. Here's what he writes. He says, real greatness is not to be found in seeking to be praised. In seeking to be served by others. Real greatness is found in seeking others to serve. Especially those who have no rights. This helps us see that Christ's followers are called. You and I, as we pursue Christ, we are pursued dependence instead of power. 
God's people must be dependent upon Christ instead of seeking self-serving power. That's what Jesus does here. He casts this clear, direct, countercultural vision of true greatness. It begins with complete and utter dependence upon him. Surrender. You lay it down. It's all about him. Here's what it's not about. It's not about your achievements. It's not about your strong spiritual resume. And in spite of what many of us have tried to do with our lives, it is not about being the best, reaching some pinnacle of success. Those are not the things that Jesus highlights. Rather, the greatest in the kingdom of God is about humbly submitting everything to Jesus. Before I go any further, I want to reiterate the point that I just made. I want to highlight that again because I'm guessing that some of us can just kind of hear those words and go, yeah, yeah, I got that. I want to hammer down. I want to drill down on that one more time. Being included in God's kingdom is wholly and completely about our dependence on Jesus. If you've been here over the last number of Weeks, you'll know that that was also a drum that I beat when we were working through Mark's gospel. Because of what Jesus says in Mark chapter 1. He says, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Repent. You see, through our repentance of sin, our surrender, and our belief in Jesus and his finished work on the cross, that's how you and I are included in God's kingdom. Now let me ask you a couple of questions. Did Jesus say anything there about spiritual achievements? Is Jesus looking at all the religious things you've done and said, man, that is pretty impressive. What I did on the cross plus what you're bringing to the table, we're going to really do something. Of course not. You see, that is not a biblical reality. Instead, repentance is a posture of surrender. Repentance leads to a posture of humility and utter dependence on him. For you and I to be truly great, we must recognize that it is Jesus who suffered the penalty that your sin and my sin deserved. He is the one who died on the cross so that you might live. That's Jesus. And what he asks of you and of me is dependence. First for our salvation and second for the power to walk out our faith each and every day. You know, so often when you talk to a believer, they will reference that point when they came to faith. Yeah, I, I, I confessed my sin. I repented of my sin. I believed in the gospel. I did that 25 years ago. While that may be true, the gospel is something to be lived out each and every day. It is a dying to self. It is running to the cross afresh. 
living the gospel. You see, Jesus told the guys that he was investing in, the guys that he was doing life with, and he said, hey, if you want to be part of the kingdom and if you want to grow in it, you've got to be like a child. It's a beautiful picture because children don't depend on themselves. Children depend upon the one who loves them. Children depend upon the one who cares for them. Children depend upon the one who nurtures them and the one who guides them. Do you have childlike dependence? Let's turn to the text, continuing in verses 5 and 6. He says, whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. But whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, well, it would be better for him to have a great millstone fastened around his neck and drowned in the depth of the sea. The first thing most of us think of when we read this passage is the image of the millstone. Am I right? You're like, that's weird. I don't really work with a millstone much anymore. Kind of moved beyond the millstone era. We're kind of straight into bread makers and air fryers and all that kind of stuff. Somebody set the stage a little bit. The millstone was typically this really large stone that was used to crush and grind corn or grain at the mill. And it was such a large stone that it typically took two people to work the activity of crushing. It was large, it was heavy. And this is the picture that Jesus uses. Millstone, massive, heavy, huge thing hanging around your neck, cast into the sea. That's the picture that Jesus gives of his disciples should they cause a child or a dependent one to sin. Let's get real for a moment. That is really intense imagery. Jesus is setting the stage there because he takes sin and are causing someone else to sin very seriously. It is not a casual matter. But here's what's helpful for us to recognize when we look at this text. Bible scholars believe that Jesus' teaching here is not simply about small children. But for those who are actually developing in age or developing in their faith. So what we have to consider is those who are dependent upon others, that's who Jesus is addressing here. That can include a child, certainly. Can include the poor, the needy. Could even go to the other end of the age spectrum. It could include the elderly. Those are just to name a few. Dependent ones. And our lives must be lived with such dependence upon Christ that we don't cause those people to stumble in sin. So here's what this means for us. As followers of Jesus, we must be so repentant, so filled with faith, so dependent upon Jesus leading us, guiding us, directing us 
that we don't get in the way of someone else's faith journey. We are a help to their faith journey, not a hindrance. God wants you and I to help people on the faith journey. He wants his followers to practice loving care instead of dabbling or fooling around with temptation. So if you were in Christ today by faith, God desires that your life would model his love, that your life would model his grace, that your life would model his truth. Consider the words of the Apostle Paul to the believers in Corinth. He exhorts them to honor Christ with their whole lives. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, here's what he writes. So whether you eat or you drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Give no offense to Jews or to Greeks or to the church of God. Then he closes out this portion of his letter by encouraging believers to put into practice something that he's doing in his own life. Here's what he says. He says, be imitators of me. Because his resume is impressive. Because he's done a lot of religious stuff. No, 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 no. Be imitators of me as I am of Jesus, as I am of Christ. Be imitators of him as he imitates the life and the teachings of Jesus. Now, practically speaking, this is why I agree with the words of a good friend of mine. This friend often says, if the person isn't helping you draw closer to Jesus, they're pulling you away from Jesus. So, White Lake family, as we consider the words of Jesus that he communicates to his disciples in this text. I'm guessing that maybe some of us are going, okay, let's take some stock here. I want to consider what's happening in my faith journey. I need to pursue Jesus instead of power. Okay, we got that? Let's try that again. Okay, we got that. All right, good. Now we need to be fully dependent upon Christ. Got that? All right. And I must live in such a way that I'm not causing another one to sin. Got that? Good. I hope the person next to you said that nice and loud. Because we matter to each other. Everyone who is on this faith journey, who is journeying along with you, and I mean everyone, Everyone matters because the truth is we do not live our lives in isolation. We don't. We live out our faith in community, and that community is God's church. We practice our journey of faith, of following in the steps of Jesus. And so when one person is successful in fully depending on Jesus, others see it. When I see someone walking in faith and depending upon him in a really difficult season, that inspires me. And I know it inspires you as well. Let me tell you a quick story. We often see this very thing lived out in this room often. Last week, we had the opportunity to celebrate baptism. 
And every time we get the baptistry out and someone stands before you and says, you know what, I believe in Jesus alone for my salvation. I'm submitting to the waters of baptism as as an illustration of my full dependence. You guys know what happens? Almost every time that inspires someone else to take that step happens all the time. Another believer sees what's happening. They see the dependence. They see the proclamation and they say, you know what? I need to do that. I need to do that. This is what happens in a vibrant community of faith. When we see someone practicing faithful dependence upon Jesus, we're encouraged. That might mean reading the Bible in immerse. That you show up and everybody's reading and reading and reading. And so you're inspired to read. It might mean somebody saying, you know what, I'm going to join and I'm going to participate in a life group here at church. That's people doing life together. And I'm going to jump in. I'm going to do that. Or perhaps it looks like someone stepping out of their comfort zone and saying, you know what, I'm going to serve the youngest disciples here at our church. I'm going to serve in kids' ministry. You see that happen, and then you inspire someone else on the journey of faith. When you faithfully follow Jesus, others follow you. I love a quote by an author by the name of James Bryan Smith. He wrote a a good book called The Good and Beautiful Community. Here's what Smith writes. Catch the heart of the author in this text. He says, I want a community who will take an interest in my well-being. I want a community who is not afraid to ask me to make a commitment to my spiritual growth and to service to others. I want a community who will challenge me to become who I already am. One in whom Jesus dwells. That picture is one of power and of beauty and that picture is what it looks like to be part of a church, God's church. Now as we wrap up things today, I want us to consider once again the goat conversation that we began with. Now I'm not asking you, Michael or LeBron. I want you to be real about this. What does it take to be the greatest of all time? That's what the disciples were asking and that's what people of our day still ask today. Thankfully, the answer has not changed. In Jesus' kingdom, greatness is defined by humility. In the kingdom of God, true greatness is defined by our humility. And so the questions we must ask ourselves are this. Am I willing to surrender my desires, to lay it down, to practice humility and be solely dependent upon Christ? Am I willing to walk in the ways of Jesus so faithfully, so consistently that others will follow my example as I follow Jesus? 
These are real questions that we should be asking and considering, not just on a Sunday morning, but on Tuesday evening and on Thursday morning. White Lake family, do you desire to see God move in your spiritual life? Do you desire to see God move and work in your marriage? Do you desire for God to move and work in your family? Do you desire to see God move and work in this church family? Well then, it's all about dependence. Dependence upon Jesus. Because he is the one who showed us the ultimate act of humility upon the cross. And that's why he is the greatest of all time. Our job is to follow him. Amen. Thank you for joining us as we study God's word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org connect to introduce yourself today.